Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside Drinker Studio. This is a special episode because we're at Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans today. And we are interviewing the girls from Gem and Bold Mezcal, Elliot and Adrina. Hi, ladies. How are hi, you? Hi. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed for our little humble podcast from El Paso. Thank I feel you. special. <laughs> we do, too. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to start real quick. Just tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourselves. Just a little bit on the personal. How did you start? Why did you do this type of things? Just to start with that. So it's a bit of a, it's a joint answer. We're, we're not really individuals yeah. when it comes to that question because we grew up together uh-huh. in the mountains of Virginia. And we went off and created our own lives for a long time and then came back together and started collaborating as artists about 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago. Okay. Um, collaborated as an artist duo for about three years and then peeled off to create our own our own projects Your independent own project. of the art world okay. yeah so I read that you are daughters of bootleggers Oh, yes, in oh, every yes. sense of the word. How does that feel? It's like, my, is it with your dad, grandfathers? Our dads together. Your dads together yeah. were bootleggers? Uh-huh. How fun is that? Is. Our daddies were wild. <laughs> so does, did that inspire you to start uh, a distillery, you know, doing your own spirits? Subconsciously, I think it definitely did. It, that was never the idea. We never went into Jim and Bold okay. as a, oh, let's start a spirits brand. It organically came about, but... Absolutely, is part of the fabric of that. Okay. How did it happen? How did you guys like, hey, I want to have a mezcal? Well, we didn't say we want to have a mezcal because mezcal finds you. It's what okay. it seems to be for everybody. So, yeah, it was a long process of us, of us getting there. Was it a journey that you took to Oaxaca? Was it how did you come up with, well, it's just mezcal, like you said, it calls you, but why Mexico? Why that spirit in particular? So we, I lived in Mexico, okay. and we decided to start a project called Gem and Bolt in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And we, in the very beginning, we were making an elixir with Damiana, which mm-hmm. is our mezcal is distilled with that. Right. And it was we used mezcal as our base, so that was how it really started. Was a mezcal Damiana elixir. What makes it different? The mezcal. What makes it so different from what sets it apart from other mezcals? I think the distillation with the Damiana is really the the biggest differentiator. I mean, there's the the ethos behind the brand and the artists' collaborations that we're very involved in. But the Damiana is really the the market. And what exactly is Damiana? Damiana is um, Damiana is a flowering bush from Mm -hmm. Mexico Mm -hmm. that also thrives in southern Texas and parts of the Central Americas. But it's really indigenous to Mexico and thrives in the same climate as agave. Mm -hmm. So they're the plant spirits naturally dance well together, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a natural heart opener. It's elevating. It's a it has, we, we call it a heart opener. It's sort of a super herb with myriad properties, very joy, joy-bringing properties. It's very connective. Uh-huh. Um, it's an organ tonic for the sexual organs, both male and female. So it functions <laughs> in, very, in, in like, lovely oh my ways. God, I need some of that. <laughs> Get your tonic on. Okay. That's it's sounds, elevating. That sounds fun. I mean, how do you come up with this Damiana? You just like came up, somebody told you about it because I know I'm Mexican, so we I know that we base a lot of our 
medicine and roots and herbs and things like that. So Damiana just happened to be there, it got your attention. What we grew up <laughs> we grew up with herbalists, so everybody knew about Damiana. It was a, a part of our childhoods. It's funny. Yeah. I don't know. Like in in Chihuahua, we don't know much about Damiana. We use more um, other native roots that we have there, especially the ones from the stomach. Yeah. So I don't know if that's something you can put in a mezcal, like orgolo and yerbabuena and things like you that. You can. But you can put anything in mezcal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can do all create all sorts of medicinal infusions. In fact, it's really common. And you know, if you look at the the history of mezcal, you see herbal infusions of every type. There's something for a stomachache, and there's something for a headache, and there's hierba borracha. There's yeah. you know, for for a hangover, you've got something for fever. So Damiana is one one of the many. We're we're the first brand on the market that actually introduces Damiana um, to in bottled form to the uh -huh. masses. But if you actually dig deep, you see that there's quite a, it comes with quite a legacy, quite a history. Nice. So can we try a little bit? Yes. Let's yes. try a little bit. We need to loosen up go. a bit. Okay. So here we go. Just like oh, here showing it over drop. here. Cheers. Salud. Cheers. Salud. <laughs> That's really good. I know we tried it in um, in Marfa. Tried a little bit, and I know there's um, a bar in El Paso. I still haven't gotten it, but I want to talk to Molly about that. Um, and you got curious. You're the one that tasted it, no? Um, Monarch and Ralph did. Ralph is our other co-host. He couldn't make it. And he tried it at a place called Neon Rose in Monarch. And we've never seen it before, and it got my attention because it's really cool that it's a gem and bolt. So tell me about the brand. Why a gem and bolt? Where did that come from? That's a great story. You go for it. <laughs> okay, so once upon a time, before we had a Mezcal brand, we were told by a lot of our Oaxacan friends who have Mezcal brands, it's a small community, as you know, they were like, you know, you've been doing this infusion, and you've been doing all of these things with this project, when are you going to start your brand? And we were like, no, 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 no. We're not starting a brand, we're just doing this, it's this and this. And then they said, but, you know, you chose the gem and the bolt, and we were like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you know, the mythology story of Mezcal is that the lightning bolt came from the sky and hit the gem or the heart of the, the plant and created the sap that's known as Mezcal. And at that point, we were like, okay, we'll start We're a brand. Stars. We'll do we'll it. Take it. But this was years after we had you know, already been working with the brand as an artist duo and all these various sort of artist retreats and pop-ups and speakeasies mm -hmm. that we were creating all over the place. So it was very serendipitous. Yeah. Is it was it a particular artist that did this for you or the brand in Oaxaca or where? No, the the brand the the brand logo itself long preceded our arrival to Oaxaca. Uh -huh. um, it was when we were an artist duo, and we don't really remember where the name came from. It fell out of the sky one day. We were creating this sort of overarching concept project that we didn't yet know what it was going to be yet but we knew that we wanted to bring in medicinal herbs and we knew we wanted to, it to be connective and celebratory mm -hmm. and this was before we realized that mezcal was the vehicle that was calling us but the logo we actually had long before that so when we discovered the story of the origin story of mezcal yeah. and we had had this logo already for years it was serendipitous but it was this was a logo that we created in our brainstorming we're both artists okay. So beyond just the regular mezcal, is somebody wanted to just tasting 
kind of get a little bit of buzz. Do you want to make it more of a spiritual thing? Open up some channels or yeah, uh, more of make an elevated feel a little bit more. Yeah, exactly, elevated and appreciate the the mezcal a little bit better. Is that the intention of it? I think that's one of the reasons people are really attracted to mezcal right now is mm -hmm. because with with the agave plant and with Damiano with ours, it has a different evolutionary um, way that it interacts with the body. Right. And people don't want to get sloshed any longer. They actually want to be elevated. Yeah. Things well, have shifted. Just, just because of the history of mezcal, especially coming from El Paso, people didn't really know it. It's been four years since we started getting the actual brands of mezcal. We used to have a Monte Alban. Mm -hmm. That's all we could get, or Union. Yeah. And people get excited about the worm, and you know they think it's about just like you know popping up the bottle and see if you can eat the worm, and it's kind of nasty for me. But I mean, I think this is really cool. Um, fun question. Uh, what historical figure would you like to share your mezcal with? Oh, I yeah. love that question. Oh, gosh. That made you think. How about Dali? That would be... Dali would be a fun. lot of fun. Oh, I mean, you would totally get drunk with Dali. Dali would think. rock. Dali would love this mezcal. Yeah. Why, why him? I mean, he comes to mind because he's such a character. I guess oh, yeah. that's the... I heard it was a very eccentric guy. Eccentric, yeah, surrealist, thinking outside of the box. We've definitely, this project has been created um, from an intuitive, creative space, definitely through thinking mm -hmm. outside of the box. So yeah, we could share that space with him. We could have a good party, just the two of us and so Dolly, we'd Dali. have a good party. <laughs> yeah. Do you know Spanish? I mean, you're gonna have to speak Spanish yes. to the guy. Yes. Okay, si muy bien, que bueno. Okay, so you lived in Oaxaca. How many times have you been there? Or you ha had or have, have I you live over there, or how many times do you, do you have to go in order to set all the process of creating this spirit? So we both lived there while we created the project for over the course of about five years. I still live there, so I've been there for over okay. seven years. Mm -hmm. nice. And Adrena is very much on the road for the brand. We're both on the road for the brand, but I'm concentrated more in Oaxaca, and Adrena is often in Europe and the United States, and okay. she comes often. And do you many have this the in the United States only, or are you going international? We are primarily exporting to the United States at this moment, mm -hmm. although we've, we launched London last year, last fall, and London is a great market for us. Yes. Also Greece. Greece in little yeah. pockets. We, we like to pop up in unexpected places in unexpected ways. We like to move in mysterious ways and not, not be totally predictable, but the United States is our biggest market. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, UK. We were there for Chelsea the Cocktail in Edinburgh. And I would like to see more of the Mexican spirits over there as well. I think Me people too. appreciate it a lot um, because I think here that the market is getting a little bit saturated and there's more competition because now everybody wants to get into making these type of spirits. But the other question I have is, as women, what are your biggest challenges being in this industry, especially with mezcal artesanal that is more run by men? It's still a lot of men. I know that there's women out there. Um, but how, what are your biggest challenges with this? It's always an interesting question because yeah. for us, in, I can speak about Oaxaca in particular. Um, yes, it's mostly men that make mezcal and yeah. of course, that's just a historical breakdown. But we were so welcomed into the community from the very beginning mm -hmm. that we had very few challenges as women in Oaxaca. We've been really, the arms have been wide open to us. And my theory is, is that the world is just changing and people are actually ready mm -hmm. for to be a little more of a, a mixed bag 
Yeah. Do you have a lot of challenges with men over there saying like, hey, you're women. No, no, yes, no saben. Actually, not at all, interestingly. Um, I asked a producer friend probably about a year ago. I said, why are there not many female producers? There are a couple, and they're known because mm -hmm. there are so few of them, right? Why are there not many female producers? And he said to me, actually, there's, there's really no... Um, there's no resistance to female producers, but of course history dictates sort of the way the way people's lives unfold to a certain extent, mm -hmm. right? And he said, but the women that do grow up in these producing families and the ones that show genuine interest and enthusiasm, they're, op they're welcome with open arms. And, and I think actually with a lot, with a lot of appreciation. And I feel like it's been the same with Adrena and I, you know, we, when we went into Oaxaca, we didn't go in, well, first we didn't go in with the intention of having a, a mezcal brand. We just mm -hmm. went in because we fell in love with Oaxaca and we had fallen in love with mezcal and we were just on a very genuine level engaging with the community and the artists mm -hmm. and the producers and just having fun. And we started throwing events in Oaxaca and hosting people and, you know, buying, batches of mezcal from all these different producers and just experimenting and getting to know it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the fact that we just came in from a really genuine perspective, we were really well received. It's always been, a, there's been a great synergy with us and the community and the producers. How did you find a master distiller? How did you go about finding who to make your mezcal? We did a lot of experimentation and we threw a lot of parties, which oh, was fun. a great opportunity <laughs> to buy a lot of mezcal um, and, you know, experiment and taste. You know, we were infusing it at the time with the Damiana before mm -hmm. we actually had our own. We were before we were working with a specific producer and we were just buying a thousand liters at a time. We were, it was pretty wild style in the early days, that buying a thousand like liters at a time, infusing it in our backyards and throwing mm -hmm. these wild parties that were very much aligned with our, our background in the arts, mm -hmm. sort of out of the box, right. experiential. Um, and yeah, I, we just, we experimented. We tried a lot of different mezcals and little by little we got to know different producers. And then mm -hmm. at a certain point, once we actually decided to create our, our own brand, we had become very close with a lot of people in the community obviously and we started working closely with who is now our uh, head of operations and he was very well versed in mezcal and he had had his own mezcal brand for many years um and yeah that sounds like fun um so your organic sustainable uh fair trade um tell me about the agave we use espadin which is the most cultivatable um, agave. And it has an eight-year maturation period. It's a joven. It's traditionally, uh, traditionally produced in every sense of the word. And, you know, no additives. It's totally clean spirit. The only ingredients are pure espadina agave, spring water, solar energy, lots of sunshine, and damiana. That's it, natural fermentation. They're pollinated by bats at night. We love that detail. Under the moon. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a great detail. Oh, they're bambinos. Yeah. Especially because of the demand and all the agaves that are getting caught, and there's, I don't think there's enough for the demand that there is and stuff. I think it's really cool that they're now considering uh, getting bats to the job. I mean, that's how nature has been, but now exactly. I think that's, that's really cool. 
yeah, it's a beautiful process. If I were to give you a ticket, think ticket right now, to go anywhere in the world to have a drink, where would you go? Where would you go and why? Wow. Now, I'm not going to say take your mezcal and share it, but just a particular drink in a particular place. Okay. That's a hard <laughs> one. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was Oaxaca. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. I was like, if I could go anywhere right now, Oaxaca. Okay, so if I had a private plan, just let's just go to Oaxaca and some, have some more mezcal. That's a, that's a great It's a great trip. option. It's a great option. Where else would you I go? I might go to like, I don't know if it's the drink so much that attracts me, but I might go to like Iceland, Iceland. and have like a cocktail in a, in a, in an ice you want to stay in one of those ice hotels? I want to stay in the ice hotel, <laughs> and I want a cup that's made out of ice. Okay. Dense, ancient ice. Oh, that, that sounds, sounds like, nice, right? Like but I don't. But I don't really want vodka or anything. No. I might. We might actually, in that case, bring our mezcal. But I want our mezcal in Iceland in a in a dense, ancient ice cup. Like what about you? You I thought of something. Well, I saw this recently. There's a place in Provence. Well, in Provence, they grow lavender, right. and there's a lavender liqueur that I'm dying to try. It's a distillation, so they actually make a... Yeah, I, I can't tell you enough about it. I saw it in some food show. But it's a pale purple. It looks like a beautiful distillation. I'd like to go there. Let's go. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay, so we'll go to Provence, and then we'll go to Iceland and back to Oaxaca. Yeah. That sounds nice. Okay, this is a fun That's a tour. great trip. <laughs> and is there, what's in the future? For your mezcal. What do you want to do well, we're we're creative spirits. We're untamable creative spirits. So we're always we're always thinking about you know interesting, interesting, interesting collaborations. We really enjoy collaborating in the arts. Um, for the mezcal itself, um, yeah, it's always about maintaining tradition, but also innovating in ways without without stepping outside of tradition, which is kind of a fine line, but it's fun from a creative place. So opening up the portfolio in interesting ways. We have some ideas under our hat. You don't have to tell me what you right now, that's fine. But it's exciting. <laughs> well, thank you very much for interviewing with us. Um, really like your brand, we really like your mezcal, and we hope to bring it up to the Black Market Lounge in El Paso and keep promoting because we're all about supporting local. And nothing makes me more proud being Mexican that our spirits are coming in, especially it's really exciting about it, too. <laughs> So. We'll come visit you there. Oh, I love El Paso. I hope you can one of these days. In the meantime, we'll talk to Molly and we'll shout out to her. Because I know she yes. wanted to go. And uh, thank you again. This Amazing. Inside of her studio. Thank you so much. so much. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside Drinker Studio, their special event here at Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. I am Michelle and I have the producer Juan with me today. Hey guys, how He's are gonna you? He's going to help me interview Laura Schacht, right? Did yes, I, did I say that correctly? Right. That's okay. correct. <laughs> awesome. We've been drinking uh, some Geneva here and she represents a Gucha, right? That's Rousseau, I yes. get a good accent here. I'm trying. <laughs> it's the French that helps and the Mexican that... <laughs> I can exactly. And, and probably drinking during the day. And probably drinking. Yeah. So, hi, welcome. 
Thank you for having me on the podcast. Hello. Thank, thank you for talking to us. Um, how's it been? How's New Orleans treating you? New Orleans has been treating me very well besides mm. a little bit too much humidity and heat. It I am just much. not used to that. I'm used to rain. I can handle that. We live in the Netherlands. Uh-huh. We have rain all the time. Yes. But this humidity and heat is just killing me. But besides that, uh-huh. um, it's been treating me really well. A lot of people came in and were super interested in the category. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people left and learned a little bit more about Geneva. So this is what yeah. we're here for. Yeah. We, uh, tell us a little bit about Geneva. Because uh, you were telling us yesterday how it came out to be. It's not gin. It's not whiskey. Exactly. So what is it? It's everything in between. It's everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you have Geneva, it's... Historically, it is the forerunner of gin. Mm-hmm. Gin originated from Geneva. So it is, of course, related to each other, but the English kind of failed by copying <laughs> Geneva. So mm-hmm. they came up with gin. So nowadays, they don't have that much in common anymore. Um, and also whiskey is is not... It's a different product, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it... Flavor profile wise, it can lie very close. The same with gin. So it, it can lie quite close to whiskey. It can lie quite close to gin. But then it's always a little bit of a different addition. So mm-hmm. when you talk about the very crisp Geneva's unaged, low on mold spirit, mm-hmm. you basically have something that reminds you of gin, but with mold spirit. And mold mm-hmm. spirit is this three times pot still distillate of different grains. And it reminds you of moonshine whiskey. It's a basically a young, it does. A Actually, young it whiskey. Does. It does. Yes. If you pay attention, like past the juniper, you're yeah. still feeling that malt. So you always yeah. have this multi note in it. That is mm-hmm. a defining criterion. It has to contain yeah. malt spirits. Does it have a denomination of origin? It does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Since 2008, mm-hmm. took us a little bit long actually. In 2008. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, because Geneva has already been produced since almost 500 years and we only now managed to sit together and figure this out <laughs> and find definitions and um, find the define the region so it can only be made in the Netherlands nice. in Belgium mm-hmm. and two regions two small regions in Germany just on the border to mm-hmm. um, the Netherlands and two small regions in the north of France, just on the border of Belgium. Okay. And this whole region has been called the lowlands mm-hmm. in the in, mm-hmm. in the past. And the borders have, of course, always been been moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it was not always a steady kind of like border there, um, five hundred yeah. years, right? Several mm-hmm. wars, like the Thirty Year War, the the Eighty Year War, the first world war the second world war so mm-hmm. it's like there were many wars in this kind of like region and it's been cool it's just moving yeah it's kind of like yeah mm-hmm. a little bit moving so this is where geneva is being made and then it has to contain mold spirit at least 1.5 percent mm-hmm. to be called a geneva and it has to contain juniper but where in gin you have to actually have juniper as a dominant right flavor yes in juniper in geneva you don't so it could be any other botanicals? It could be any other botanicals being used. Uh-huh. And there are quite um, a lot of Geneva's that use botanicals very interestingly with a lot of different combinations. Um, but yeah, it has to contain um, juniper a little. And that is also where basically the name comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, Geneva, Geneva in Dutch um, is the word for juniper. Okay. okay. Oh, I didn't know that. 
I don't remember. <laughs> I, uh, maybe I did. I don't know. In the Far Smarts things, I get so much information. Can you tell us about your brand, uh, Ruta brand? Yes. So how um, it came to be? Yeah, Ruta came to be in 1872, so it's almost 150 years old. Mm -hmm. It's not one of the oldest distilleries, though. Okay. We do have distillers that have been setting up in 1572 as well. Mm -hmm. And um, we do have young distillers as well in the program that have been setting up their distilleries in, 18, in 1988. Wow. So okay. they're just 30 years now. But Ruta is kind of like in between of all of them mm -hmm. and with almost 150 years of experience. And the distillery is situated in Dordrecht, which is a tiny town surrounded by water. It's basically an island within the country. Okay. And you can get there by a boat, our preferred way of traveling, um, <laughs> or, through the, or through the tunnel or over the bridges. And um, this is where Simon Rütte set up the distillery in, in 1872. Wow. And at the beginning, he had this little tiny shop where he sold um, wines and spirits that he bought from the ships because it's it's on this massive river that goes into the Rhine and mm -hmm. into Germany. So it's this okay. trade route. Mm -hmm. And he bought the barrels of Bordeaux and just sold them into in his shop. But he was a son of a distilling family. So he just at some point was like, why do I not put a pot still in the back of my shop and distill my own stuff? Why not, right? <laughs> why not? Exactly. <laughs> in Texas, that would be called illegal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, that's basically how he came to to start distilling um, and started the brand Rütte. Mm -hmm. And the Rütte family itself, and he definitely as well, um, was a very stubborn Dutch, but very creative family. So <laughs> okay. while now the sons and daughters are being artists, they mm -hmm. they make art, they they paint, they make music. Um, we have also. Um, yeah, the stubbornness of this family. <laughs> they refused any kind of like new technology. When Miriam, our current master distiller, came to the mm. distiller in 2003, they had a DOS computer. Wow. So oh, it's yeah. like <laughs> that and that was it. And they were still writing down every recipe with by hand. They wow. were refusing to put the recipes in the computer. There was this like, no, we scale it still with this old waiting, like hand oh. weight mm -hmm. scale. And we just do it like this. That's so really cool. it sounds very Mexican too. <laughs> yeah. It's it sounds just something that I would do actually. I was I was doing the the accounting yeah. by hand at yeah. my bar because I feel like I can rely more on that than a computer. <laughs> so I understand that. Yeah. So you live the Russia already. <laughs> so yes. This is kind of like this is the the um so yeah, let's, let's try a yeah and I'm going to I'm going to open uh, the yes. bottle of Simon now and pour you a little um shot of that little mm -hmm. taste um because when i talk about the ingredients the rütte gets really interesting because rütte is not at all using any or it is using traditional geneva mm -hmm. um, botanicals but it also okay, the simon started by putting very interesting absurd and odd products mm -hmm. into his into his uh, geneva mm -hmm. so you do get the maltiness on your nose right now, mm -hmm. but you also get some sort of nuttiness that comes from him roasting hazelnuts and walnuts. Yeah, when and you, when you mentioned that yesterday, yeah. I don't know if it's the kind of thing, it's like, oh, I didn't know what it was. And then you say nuts and I'm like, oh, I can definitely yeah. Yeah. taste that. But it's one of those products is like, it's so many diff very different components mm -hmm. that all kind of like make this new flavor. And yeah. once you know it, you can spot each of the different components. The different components. Mm -hmm. And this is not, close at all to gin 
It's yeah. I mean, it no, is, no, no, no. This you know, it, it's it very is. smooth. I mm-hmm. can I see more relation to whiskey. Yeah. Than to gin. In this, this is almost all. Way. Yeah. This is this has got forty percent malt spirits. Mm-hmm. So this is already quite more on the older style of Geneva's, mm-hmm. more yeah. leaning towards the whiskey flavor. Yeah. And that said, like malt spirit is very intense in flavor. Mm-hmm. Already 40%, as you say, make it taste almost more like the whiskey. Yeah. So, um, but basically a young whiskey, whiskey with a lot of um, botanicals. Mm-hmm. So besides having the nuts in there, he also put celery in it, celery mm-hmm. leaves. He also put berries in there, a berry distillate. Oh. And a maceration out of carob and licorice. Okay, I need to try it again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can also get the licorice, for example. Cute. It's a very yeah. Dutch, um, Dutch, Dutch um, product, mm. and it's really, it gets this. A lot of people taste, and they're like, "Oh, I get, I get um, grappa here." Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's like, yeah, okay. maybe this fruitiness reminds them a little bit more of a of a grape distillate, yeah. and. So you have a lot of components in the, in the product and that what makes it so interesting for mixing. And it is called Old Simon, obviously, because mm-hmm. the founder of the distillery has been Simon mm-hmm. and it is his recipe. Mm-hmm. Like we've making this recipe since um, he founded the distillery, but it is called old because it is an old style of Geneva. Mm-hmm. It is not an old Tom gin. And it's not aged either. And it is not aged either. Yeah. So that is what confuses a lot of people yeah, about lot. the category. They are like, there is this young stuff and then mm-hmm. there is this old stuff, but there are some aged and it's just like, it gets a bit confusing, but mm-hmm. actually it's not that difficult. Right. With the category mm-hmm. we set together and we decided on an easy communication so we mm-hmm. can all speak the same language and communicate the same content and mm-hmm. use the same words. Honestly, once you put it together, it makes sense. But you know, if you say it for the first time and you see old something, you kind of assume that it's going to be aged because you're saying some aged ones. But now that you explain it, it makes perfect sense. Because it was basically back in the days, Geneva's were made with 100% malt spirit Mm -hmm. because there was nothing else than malt spirit. It was a pot still, Mm -hmm. three times distillate, Mm -hmm. like three times distilled pot still distillate. Mm -hmm. And that is what was the, the, the that was the kind of like distillate that was available at that time mm-hmm. and only later the coffee still was invented which allowed mm-hmm. distillers to produce neutral grain, grain like spirits. neutral mm-hmm. spirit also based on on other things than grain so yeah. you could also use sugar sugar right. beets so you can make vodka and these other spirits yeah. Or... yeah so it's like it's a very high proof neutral product mm-hmm. And you can throw in anything you want and it gets out neutral. And that is something that only came up much later than Geneva actually was, was started, yeah. started off. So like that was 1880s <laughs> around that so time. So this is 1500s we're talking about? Yeah. So okay. it's like wow. back then every Geneva was 100% malt, malt spirit because there was nothing else. And then when the kind of like new type of distillate came up, mm-hmm. people started to make a differentiation from Geneva's that had a lot of malt spirits mm-hmm. and Geneva's that had very little malt spirits mm. and the ones that had little spirit they called young because it was a new style of Geneva yeah and the yeah. one that had a lot of malt spirit they would call old because it's an old style of Geneva so, so okay. it's more the style yeah than the age, than than the the age. age. The age. So but then... to confuse people more you can also age it yeah <laughs> <laughs> see it's like stop it <laughs> so 
can we taste the other one, the one that we tasted yesterday, the newer one that has more of the gin, the I will actually the junipers. Yes, I will actually um here take out another bottle okay. um awesome. that is from another distillery. Oh. Um and it's Bobby's Geneva from Sridham. Oh god. Okay. And uh, it's also very old family distillery. Oh, and that's with a J, not with a G. Yeah, in the that Netherlands is... you generally write it with a J, but okay. it's also okay to write it with a G. It depends a little <laughs> bit more on um oh, where you are. What what you decide on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and internationally it's mostly with a G. Okay. So um but they kept it to the J, absolutely so, fine. J and G, tomato, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> it's Geneva at the end. So right, maybe um, go with an X or with a J. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is a young style okay. um, so, of Geneva. That it's a means new style. it's mostly uh, not malt. It's not malty. It's usually like oh, the, my. Wow. this is okay. more focused around this the botanicals. Very floral. Yes. And um, Bobby's has botanicals as lemongrass in Mm -hmm. it. So it's really, it's Indonesian inspired. So it is really young and fresh and crisp, leaning towards the gin much more than towards the whiskey. This reminds me more of the gin. Yeah. And the first one we tried reminds me. That is loaded with a lot of flowers and and botanicals. Very nice. Mm. So it this is, and this has four percent of malt spirit. Wow! So there you can see that it clearly it's, you can tell it's, it's much lower on malt spirit. And mm-hmm. for a young Geneva, mm-hmm. you have to have at least one point five percent. Okay. But you go up to fifteen percent of malt spirit, and everything above is an old yeah. style Geneva. Okay. So this is kind of like that's well, kind of like is, the... <laughs> this is amazing. I can I can totally see the difference between the two styles like right away when you yeah. try the. Old Simon and we're trying Bobby's and it, you know it's just it's clear. Very it's clear. very clear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This I actually think it has a hint of a color. I don't know if you is it just me, but it has a, a hint of a like a little. The like old Simon has a little. Yeah, the color. Uh-huh. The old Simon has very a bit of clear. a color because it has the macerations. The Bobby's shouldn't because that is one hundred percent distilled. Maybe it's just me. <clears throat> <laughs> Maybe it's That's the... much to drink already. <laughs> Maybe it's a drink standing next to it. <laughs> so so how, how did you start working for for the company? I was a bartender myself Ooh. for many years. I always did that next to my studies to mm-hmm. finance my studies. Mm-hmm. But eventually, kind of like as it goes, the classic way, it took over and I worked more and more and more in bars. And during my master, I managed this tiny bar in Amsterdam Mm -hmm. and um, I loved it. And I still love the bar. If you ever make it to Amsterdam, it's hiding in plain sight. I hope so. You've been there. That's the name of the bar. Hiding in plain sight. (laughs) Hiding in plain sight. Okay, let's put it up in the the recommendation. So um, this is the bar that I managed and um, I was for a long time. Of course, I was studying as well. Uh And then when I stopped studying, I almost felt a little bit I wouldn't say bored because still managing a bar yeah is kind of still a lot of work but when you're doing your master mm-hmm. and you manage a bar at the same time you clearly also get enough to do so when i stopped my master or when i finished my master i was a bit like okay um i'm, I'm happy right now mm-hmm. to also actually just have one job mm-hmm. finally after so many years <laughs> of always working two jobs i will actually now um 
only work in bars. Mm -hmm. But then at some point I was like, and I think it was literally, it was, it was not the same day, but it was a moment where I just put my mindset to a different state and was like, I'm going to check out what else is out there. Yeah. What's next? Yeah. Uh And also where do you want to go? And I'm going to, I'm going to look for something. Mm -hmm. And then I got a phone call Mm -hmm. from someone I knew Uh over like many different people. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Laura, there is a there is a company, there's a, a producer in, in the Netherlands I would like you to meet. They are looking for someone to promote their gin and Geneva mm-hmm. in the Netherlands. Oh, nice. And then I knew the brand because I had it on my on uh-huh. my back bar as a bartender. I had their paradise nice. one in the back. And I was like, when he named the brand, I was like, that actually sounds like I'd be interested. So I never saw myself in the brand world, mm-hmm. but when he named the brand and when he called, I was like, and in this mindset of like, I'm ready to change, that just was like- It almost sounds like you put it out on the universe and then yeah. the universe and then it just called back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it literally called back. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went over and got to know the master distiller mm-hmm. and she is amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a girl. It's a woman, yes. Is this the one you told me about that she found the things in the attic? Yes. Ooh. That's is. Miriam Hendricks, and she's literally so kick-ass. When when guys come into the studio, yeah, we want to talk with a master distiller. She's like, yeah, you're that's me. That's me. Oh, I love that. She's kick-ass. <laughs> you know, being in the in this industry, um, we own a bar, and, but Michelle is the one that takes care of everything there. Yeah. So it's really funny how people come and want to talk to me when in reality they have to go and talk to her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know it myself as a bar manager. Mm -hmm. I work with younger guys and then they walk in and they talk to him and I'm like, "Uh, that's funny. I am the boss. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I also like, it's a funny, it's a funny thing that you can kind of like just turn the right way around and you're like, yeah, yeah, you can, of course you can talk to my staff member. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so how does how has the United States America received the the spirit? How do you the feel about that? Like the category, because I know it's different. In my experience, owning a bar, people freak out. People are like, "What is that? Oh, it's related to gin, or it's like this." As you explain, and people get like, uh, "I don't like gin because it tastes like uh, shaving cream." That's one comment I got, and I'm like, "Well, I don't. I've never tasted shaving cream, but cool." <laughs> Can I get you into this? Can I get and it's so weird for them because they're used to something so like they're used to the vodka. They're used to, you know, uh they're used to gin. A little whiskey here and there. So how have you been received over here? Yeah. It's it's actually very um difficult, Uh I have to say. Yeah. Um because on the one hand side we have the Geneva producers have a super long tradition in the US and mm-hmm. in cocktails. Yeah. Geneva was the main used product within cocktails around the 1860s, mm-hmm. 1880s. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of, due to many things that happened in history, that got of kind of like it disappeared. There was grain shortages during mm-hmm. war. Mm-hmm. There right. was a prohibition in the US. There were like so many things happening and Geneva kind of vanished. And also yeah. the taste preference of the like the people changed mm-hmm. and they they wanted neutral stuff. Mm-hmm. Then it was possible to distill neutral mm-hmm. and people really liked it. And they the vodkas came up and they put a lot of money in marketing. And then there you go. No Geneva <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. And nowadays when we come back, we really try to focus on this old kind of like 
um, history that we have, mm-hmm. because we really like look at the Martinez, look at the Collins. They are typical Geneva cocktails, mm-hmm. and try out those drinks, and then mm-hmm. you'll actually have a really easy kind of like access to um, the products. And both drinks mm-hmm. are also perfect. Mm-hmm. To showcase the whole category because they literally taste good with anything, like with any salad. It is, it is just really cool that you guys are trying to bring this category back into, it's almost back into life. And I feel like yeah. you guys are doing a really good job because. You but know, yeah, there are, there are like, it's difficult, but you, that is one thing. Like people should stop making the mistake of calling a Dutch gin. <laughs> because it's not a gin. It's not a gin. And when people expect a gin and then they get something that has basically yeah. a young whiskey in it, uh-huh. that is just a, quite a different flavor. And so you should probably tackle it from a completely different angle mm-hmm. and be like, hey, ever tried a whiskey, a botanically flavored whiskey? So it's like, there is much more oh, to like talk that. about. <laughs> I think it There's makes so much sense. more to, it's, to, to it's sell so... it more like that and move it more like that than to compare it to a gin. Because mm-hmm. I think, yeah, yeah. you can expect something. Yeah, you different. can, when you talk about the mm-hmm. wide variety of like flavors that we have, you can say like, it almost starts as a gin, like you can mm-hmm. almost start on the gin end mm-hmm. and you can go up to the whiskey, whiskey. end. Uh-huh. Right. And it's everything in between. But mm-hmm. if you have people try it, don't sell it as a different style of gin. It is the forerunner of gin, but it has flavor-wise very little to do with it. And mm-hmm. that's what puts off people because they have an expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they are disappointed because they do not get what they expect. Yeah. And this is kind of like a common mistake. And I've made that many times myself when I still was running bars because mm-hmm. that is just how you try to sell Geneva to... A guy who has no idea yeah, what to, it is. To visitors yeah. and to, to guests. And yeah, then Geneva is kind of like mis... Yeah, it gets it's, a bit of a yeah. misrepresentation. Yeah, misrepresentation. Yeah. Do you drink it? I do drink it a, I a wouldn't lot. Say a like, lot but. I mean, I'm not saying just because you represent the, the brand, but do you really drink it? Do you make yeah. any cocktails with it? What do you yeah, like to absolutely. How, how yeah. do you how do you guys drink it? How do you personally drink it? Like, well, I do really think that the Martinez is one of the best cocktails to represent the category mm-hmm. in Geneva. Mm-hmm. Because the Martinez with a little bit of red vermouth, some orange um, curacao, some bitters maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you want to make the version with maraschino, that's also totally fine. That works really well. And you can literally take a really light style. We have another style in the program that's called Smates. Mm-hmm. It's a Belgium Geneva and it only actually has 2.5% mold spirit. Mm-hmm. So this is really kind of like a light cocktail. It, it will actually resolve like it'll, it'll showcase all the flavors of the general exactly right? and then you can also go up to 100 percent aged mold spirits wow. uh-huh. which are for example the notaris mm-hmm. um also from sridam you'll have or um, bolds also has an uh, aged one right um then you suddenly have almost like a manhattan cocktail and this is really interesting to see and it's a really great drink and it, you can literally put any Geneva in it. But you can, of course, go completely crazy and create some new stuff yourself. I yeah. do also trust oh, yeah. uh, the modern bartender too. <laughs> I remember we had an event a couple of years ago where I created a, a menu. It was the only thing we could get over there is bowls right now. Yeah. Uh, but I created a menu and a bunch of cocktails because I really wanted to showcase that. You know, people yeah. need to know more about this. It's the same. I think it has the same issues that Aquavit has right now. 
Yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. similar. That is like, how do how do we yeah. enter? Because we talked to um, I just talked to Jacob Greer from you yeah. know representing all the Aquavilini and all that, and he's just like, it's such a niche. Yeah, like, yeah. how do you enter when, this? When because most, it's most not times, one thing or the other. So how most do times you... when you try to explain what an aquavit is, you yeah. compare it with vodka. So yeah. I think Jennifer is having the and same. And it's also like we we kind of like we're here to make sure that or to to try to get to the point where Geneva has its own space in the back bar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you open a bar, you get your gin, you get your whiskey, but we want that people also get their bottle or two or three off of Geneva just yeah. to have it as as a different kind of category behind the bar yeah. and understand that it is a different category. So this is like there are so many different styles. There is also the Borgen, it's a again a different place in the mm -hmm. Netherlands that is way further to the to the east and um that is um they also have beautiful products in all different styles so you let alone with the Borgen can already experience a lot of variety within the category so mm -hmm. there is a lot that you can that you can do and um so I do think that the Martinez is a great drink to try it out with but also and mm -hmm. we call that in Dutch we call it a kopstoot Custom. What is that? It literally translates to headbutt. Oh, <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> and it basically mm -hmm. is a boilermaker. Oh, a headbutt, a boilermaker. <laughs> so nice. you have a Geneva mm -hmm. neat uh -huh. and you have a beer. And with the vast amount of craft breweries so popping up, beer. <laughs> you can literally find the perfect Geneva for every, uh, or the perfect beer for every Geneva or the other way around. I'll try that. And you I don't actually, like it's not that you chase it. Yeah. Like it's not that you shoot the Geneva. You mm -hmm. just like sip it. You can sip the more. Yeah, you just kind of like yeah, yeah change it here, a little sip of beer. I will have the bodies Geneva. with a delirium. Oh, there you go. Is yeah. that too much? A delirium <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds good. <gasps> okay. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, we're gonna hang on one second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the good thing is you can cut stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Work, work, okay, work. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, we're talking about the boilermaker, and yeah. we're saying that. Uh, uh, and okay, so now, is there an historic what with what historical figure would you like to have say Jennifer, Geneva? Sorry, what 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 historical figure? Is there a historical figure that you would like to have a drink with? I mean, to be honest, coming from a bartending background and also Geneva. Mm -hmm. It would probably be one of those old iconic bartenders. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Maybe it would actually not be Jerry Thomas, even though okay. he wrote all those books that actually yeah. start with the, like the Martinez is in his like he yeah. came up with that like the uh, nineteen uh, the eighteen sixty two book features mm -hmm. the Martinez, but as a as a woman and with a strong female master distiller i would maybe like to have a drink with ada coleman oh, nice. who was the oh, bar nice. manager of the savoy bar in london yeah. for a long time we were there yes. i was there like this year for we went to chelsea the cocktail in Edinburgh, so yeah That's, she also had strong amazing. female like support actually right. she was not the only woman there but i think like a person like that i would be really keen on um sipping really on a Geneva yeah. drink. It would actually be a very interesting conversation, her from being from England yes, and so. then um, talking about Geneva and Geneva. having a Geneva cocktail. I think yes. that would be a good match. <laughs> That's a good yeah. answer. I, I know. <laughs> Everybody has answers something different and there's no wrong answer, but it's I, I've never gotten that one. 
Cool. <laughs> well, there are enough people to choose from, right? <laughs> There's a lot of people to choose from, but I think that's really cool, especially because you're in the industry and you yeah. know, like other women, I would like to talk to her. And like, wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other questions? No, Do we have I any other questions? We're, I think it's time for us yeah. to start tasting. And yeah, I think uh, we should be tasting. Yeah. So yeah, that's going to be off the record. Yeah. Cool. I don't want to get yeah. all drunk here. Okay, Yay. well, it's that time, so thank you very thank much. Thank you so much, Laura, for talking to us. Thank you. Keep up uh, the good work, and um, people out there, please drink more Geneva. Oh, yes. <laughs> drink more Geneva. Well, thank you very much, guys. We'll continue on in New Orleans, so uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and if you have any questions, just send them over. So There you go. Thank you very much. Episode of Inside River Studio. We're still in New Orleans with Tales of the Cocktail, and today I have the honor and the pleasure of talking to Gary Solomon Jr. Um, hi, Gary. Hi there. How are you? Oh, nobody told me there were this many days of Tales of the Cocktail. I didn't know that either. I'm like, are we even? Can we even here for four? Does it more ever days? end? It's amazing. I actually like Edinburgh better because <laughs> it was shorter and sweet, and it was cold. Yeah. Which I don't like the cold, but right now. I kind of miss it. Yeah. So. It's steamy out there. I know. We're having a great time, though. I'm very, um, although tired, I'm very excited about this. But you're event. from here. So yeah. you're, you're home. It's not like you're anywhere else. So I think I need you? a room in this hotel next year, by the way. Oh, so you've, been, you've been commuting? <laughs> I've been commuting. I need to just be stationed here. Oh, yeah. This has I been would, incredible. Though. I wish I could have gotten a room here, but the days were kind of off. Yeah, so heard. I, we couldn't get it. But anyways, um, tell me a little bit about yourself just so that our audience know who you are. Yeah, so I'm Gary Solomon, Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of the co-chairs of the board of directors of the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and our family is deeply committed Um to this industry now. We, we are so excited to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, and my background's in production for events primarily. Um, so uh, what drew us to this, of course, was keeping this event in New Orleans. Um, we're just really in love with the concept that New Orleans is going to be home um, for this event for mm-hmm. forever now that we've been able to keep it here. So this is the 16th year? It is the mistaken? 16th year, that's right. Okay. How did you get into taking over Tales of the Cocktail and why did you do it? When there was a potential that if it was sold to a buyer that would be interested in moving it out of New Orleans, Mm -hmm. um, when we realized the potential that it would leave New Orleans Mm -hmm. and thought about what the devastating effect it would have on the hospitality industry in New Orleans at this time of year, Mm -hmm. um, it was a real civic... it was a real civic mission that drew us to Tales of the Cocktail. Mm-hmm. But then when we got inside the opportunity and understood the organization better, um, what we started to discover that it could be a platform for philanthropic giving um, for years to come. Mm-hmm. And it was that, uh, that vehicle for philanthropy that really made us fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. We started looking at the issues that were important to this industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we realized they were all the same issues that are important to us as a family. Right. And so we had this overlapping mission um, okay. that uh, things we wanted to uh, solve as a family mm-hmm. and where we wanted to invest our philanthropic dollars. Um, okay. And we realized they could help this industry. So what drew us to it was New Orleans and what kept us here and is going to keep us here is that we're driven to make change in this industry because it's issues that we care about. Okay, so what changes are you making for the future of Tales? What's the biggest change? And I, if, if you were at Tales this year and you missed it, um, I'm not quite sure how, but the biggest change <laughs> is that we've fully um, positioned ourselves as Tales of the Cocktail Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, our mission to yes. support, educate, and advance this industry has been... Uh, 
communicated and recommunicated over and over this week. And the biggest change is why we're here. Mm-hmm. Maybe not what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. We're still having amazing seminars. The parties are, are killer. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's been a real amazing week of all the things that were the best of tales. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason we're here is because all the profits that come from this um, go right back into the foundation. And we awarded $250,000 on the first day of tales yeah, uh, to sure. grant recipients. Um, it, 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 how did how did you get to pick up? We uh, well look. I mean, I am so um, grateful that I have a great partner in Neil Bodenheimer. Yes. Um, Neil is what we think of when we think of cocktails in New Orleans, and so mm-hmm. he's who we went to. Mm-hmm. And Neil said um, that he was committed to this organization because it became a nonprofit foundation that um, that aligned with his personal mission as well for philanthropic support. What he said was, when we try to pick where the money goes, we need to ask the people who are the best and the brightest mm-hmm. um, in the industry and let them decide. It's mm-hmm. not our decision, right? It's, right? it's really the input of that grants committee that was made up of about a dozen folks in the industry um, that came together and spent countless hours laboring over the uh, nearly 150 letters of intent for requests for support oh, and yeah. the 50, mm-hmm. over 50 grant applications that came in. Um, to pick the 11 that were awarded. And so it was the industry that effectively decided where the money goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you guys scared to bring it back, to make it different? Because no. I know people were used to something completely different. Than, yeah. yeah. I don't think we were ever scared. I think we were okay. really, um, look, it's a daunting task. Right. No, <laughs> but I, I the only time I think I was ever scared was when I saw the full schedule for the first time and I was like, holy moly, that is, you must have hit print a couple too many pages. And they were like, no, there's actually like 300 things. Um, that's just here in New Orleans. <laughs> right, this I, just here. I was really confused scheduling everything. We were just like, I'm gonna do. Yeah, no, so it's the only time I felt scared was I said, "How are we gonna do all this?" <laughs> yeah. um, and then I realized, just we went back to what made us excited about this to begin with is when we went around the country and we talked to people before the transition about why they came to Tales, um, what their mm-hmm. you know vision for the future of Tales was. It was very clear that this industry loves this organization, mm-hmm. loves Tales as an event, and mm-hmm. so we didn't feel scared about the future because we knew that there was an investment. Um, right. in it that would, that would continue to pay dividends in the way that it would create a, a foundation for long-lasting growth mm-hmm. and people were going to come. So, And how was Edinburgh? Was that like a testing ground, you think? Edinburgh was a you? great um, kind of chance to peek under the hood for the first time and see how this thing works mm-hmm. on a much smaller scale. I'm yeah. so grateful. Oh, yeah. I'm really <laughs> grateful for Edinburgh. Because how I much think, smaller do you think it was from here? Because I remember... I think it was maybe like 10% of the size to be intended. Yeah, baby. Yeah, there. relative. I mean, we had, you know, I think six seminars and here we have 65, you know I mean? I mean, everything mm-hmm. I swear on a metrics, I think was 10% the size. And, mm-hmm. and that's fine because that's what it... That's what it needed to be. Yeah. Um, oh, it was great. It, yeah. it actually got us excited because we never done Tales of the Cocktail, mm-hmm. owning a bar for four years. You just, you're more focused on growing it and mm-hmm. getting out there. And then people start talking about Tales. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? When are we going to go? Yeah. If it weren't for the podcast, I, maybe I would still be thinking about coming over. Yeah. Um, but we were excited that we got the opportunity to go because it was just like, oh, we got approved media credentials. I'm like, how are we going to get there? I'm fine over that. How are we going to get there? How are we going to pay for this? Thankfully, we had miles, and we got there. And I think that it was meant to be because we met you in a setting where it was so small that we could talk to you. I don't know if it would have happened here if I didn't know you or Neil or anything. So that's... It That's was great. Really it was cool a great, in, on a personal level, it was a really great introduction for me mm-hmm. to be able to see how Tails works. 
um, right. and to also to try to refine some things that I, I think we were able to to improve on between Edinburgh and here in New Orleans. Yeah. Little things behind the scenes, you know. Um, and again, it was it was just being able to spend some real quality time with attendees and sponsors on that smaller scale was mm-hmm. a great way to get to know the folks that really um, have proven to be deeply committed to this. And I'm really grateful for them. Is this going to get bigger? It's going to always get better. <laughs> it's going to always get better. Look, what I hope gets bigger, I hope that the amount of money we give away gets bigger. Okay. I really do. I hope so too. I hope we, and I hope that through the commitment of sponsors increasing and people hearing good things about this year in New Orleans and about Edinburgh that, you know, attendance goes up mm-hmm. and the sponsorship goes up and that the whole point of doing that is not to make it a bigger event. Right. It's to generate more dollars to invest back into the industry through our grant making program. So if $250,000 is where we're starting, I hope one day we're sitting here yeah. giving away millions. It would I be incredible. So too. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to switch it around, make it a little bit fun and personal. Mm-hmm. Do you drink? And I what do, do drink. you drink? I, oh my. Um, we're a drinker's podcast. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> right now I'm drinking water because yeah, I'm worn out. Too. <laughs> Thank you, Mountain I Valley. It's noon, so we can, we can yeah. do that. But anyways. Oh, I, I live in New Orleans. <laughs> I have the privilege of living here in a city that really celebrates cocktails, mm-hmm. always elevates it. Um, yes. They don't, uh, it's, it's not hard to great, find a great cocktail in New Orleans. And so, uh, maybe even before the age of 21, I might have had a couple of drinks. <laughs> well, uh, we've been there. <laughs> don't tell the commissioner. Of that, but, no, uh, I won't. Maybe, maybe you were in Mexico with me and you were 18. Back maybe then. so. Yeah. No, I, 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 I really enjoyed um, uh, getting to explore cocktails in this last six months mm-hmm. far more than I ever um, had a chance before, and I'm, I'm finding some new loves. Is there a particular cocktail that you always go to? In the end, like I do love a Negroni. Negroni? I love a Negroni. Yeah, okay. it's one of my faves. So if they're an hysterical figure that you would like to have a Negroni with? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dead or alive. Dead or matter. alive. I'll tell you what, he, not a historical figure. My grandfather is, I think, the guy that I liked drinking with the most. Always did. The theater guy. Yeah. He oh, was, that's awesome. I mean, look, he was, to me, he was a role model. He was uh, he was my inspiration in a lot of ways. And I think that he would have so much fun with this organization mm-hmm. and with this event. I regret that he's not alive. So I wish I could share that Negroni at the Carousel Bar at Tales with my grandfather. That's If you're lucky yeah. to get a seat. Yeah. Oh my god, that thing spins and it gets you even more. <laughs> it's going really slow. You're just like, oh my god. You know, you do just that thing where if you lean on the chair and then suddenly the chair moves and you're like, is it me or is it the bar? Oh, it's actually the bar. <laughs> it's actually the, the bar. Chair Thank God. Moving, yeah, so exactly. Do you have any questions? Because we're almost done here. Um, that was fast, right? Yeah, that was fast. Uh, I just want, like, you've been talking about the future and how you guys want to give more money. And I was curious because we're coming from a smaller town in Texas, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and there is, a, you know, there is a lot of education and things that need to happen in smaller towns. Is that mm-hmm. like how can we help and how can we bring initiative to smaller towns all over the states uh, that need sure. this? Yeah, small business yeah. like our struggle a lot because there's such um, a limiting factor which is education, and Mm -hmm. um, people don't make that much money in smaller places like that, even though it's El Paso, Texas, connected to Juarez, and Las Cruces is there. It's a huge community, but it's still very limited. So how can we help out people? Well, I think the the grants program is is Mm -hmm. not exclusively to any one market. It's a global opportunity. Mm -hmm. Large or small cities, um, you know, large or small projects, um, there's 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 intentionally no guardrails around what we say you can ask for because mm-hmm. we want to see where the need is 
And I would really encourage to folks to think about the foundation as the scaffolding that kind of supports the industry, right? Mm -hmm. We may not be the ones that are, that are, that are driving all the initiatives, but the ones that are supporting them. And so I'd love to see from a small town like that, I'd love to see a grant application next year that says, here's how Tales of the Cocktail Foundation uh, can support my industry mm-hmm. in my city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just incumbent upon having a grant applicant that's willing to do the work. We're going to give you the resources to do it if it's approved. Mm-hmm. But it's, you got to do the work, and we're here to support it. And so I think that, you know, I want to make sure everyone understands that, um, you know, although it's, it's the big cities often that get all the press, you know, yeah. our, we realize this is an ecosystem, and at all levels of size, we have to support um, big and small brands, big and small cities, big and small yeah. personalities. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so I would just encourage folks to propose next year where how we can help small cities develop better industry. That, that would be something really great for El Paso. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. growing like crazy, and we started something. We were one of the first craft cocktails in town. Look, start, start small. Ask for a couple yeah. thousand bucks. Say, here's a little pilot project I want to do. It's going to make a difference. It might, it's easy to measure. It's easy to produce. Um, easy to start the ball rolling. And then let's, let's grow it from there. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I thank think. you so much, Gary, for sitting down with us. And we hope to see you again. I mean, we'll, we'll keep bothering you next year. I seem to see you everywhere now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you said that. Is that you were in Airbro and you were here. Like, yeah. yes. So hopefully, um, are you guys going to tour? Again. We're going to go on tour. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, I'll be watching that. <laughs> See if you'll I can be, get you'll more be miles so I can get there and, and just be like, hey. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of Insider Drinker Studio. Good morning to everybody. We have gotten up early to talk to this particular person here, Neil Bodenheimer from Tales of the Cocktail. He also owns Cure and you still have Cane and Table. Cane and Table as well, yes. Awesome. All right, Neil, thank you for agreeing to doing this. Yeah, I know of you're course. super tired, probably. It's this is been... like, is this the last day of Tales? Yep, it's the last day of Tales. It's been a long week. Um, my family hates me right now. But, oh no! But my no. bartenders hate me. If you feel better about that. <laughs> well, actually, my bartenders hate me too. Um, no, actually, I, I think just about every bartender in town is really excited because yeah. uh, we all knew how how close this was to going away, and yeah. you know, for this to to have been a successful tales and and to be in the books and to actually just even have it and yeah. all the community and positivity totally. has been a huge win for us and for our community mm-hmm. uh, local national international the you know the bar the the bar and spirits community yes. it's a big win um, but every bartender in this town that 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 sees guests from tales come you know mm-hmm. come through their door they're couldn't they're incredibly grateful and oh, and, of and 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 just uh, I think very 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 happy that that everybody's back and that and that we saw the outpouring of love and support that's from, good from all over the you world. You guys saved this, and I'm very grateful too, as a business owner and a bartender myself. I'm very grateful because I thought I was not going to be able to ever make it here. <laughs> uh, you know, look, I'm I'm grateful too. You know, it, it's and you know these opportunities come, and 
and you have to figure out whether you're going to step up and do them. I mean, no one, no one wants to stick their neck out for things that are, that are, that are, that are controversial or or in peril. And I, I'm, I'm no different. I didn't want to do it either. So, but how did you get involved in it then? So, um, it's a long story. I don't know if we have enough tape for this, but, um, short version, (laughs) the short version is, is that, uh, is that I, is it when, uh, when the past ownership, both stepped down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people realized they were in trouble, and I did as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I started calling brands uh, on behalf of Tails and said, "Look, this is very important. We need your support on this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward, but we need your support. This is too important." Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think by doing that in the early stages, I ended up in the I ended up kind of knowing what was going on more because I was getting information, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we just started working on trying to find an appropriate buyer mm-hmm. and uh, I had no intention of being involved in the, in the execution of it mm-hmm. uh, but my goals were to find a buyer to stabilize it mm-hmm. and to keep it in New Orleans okay um, so <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah yeah the mission has been accomplished and that's and, and I'm, I'm extraordinarily proud of that and I'm grateful because the mission's not accomplished without uh, all the amazing people that came in town mm-hmm. with an open mind and positivity and right. came and came to support. And it, it's, I mean, I get, I, I get overwhelmed just thinking about it. I really do. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's been, it's been an incredible year for me um, and for, and for New Orleans and for the entire Tales family as we've had to circle the wagons. What's in the future? What do you want to see next time there's another Tales? Well, I think that the one thing is, is, is Tails has had to kind of get back to its core. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this year it was smaller. It had a more of a family feeling. And, uh, and when we really focused on hospitality and, um, you know, I don't think you need a crystal ball to know that it's going to grow next year again. Mm-hmm. And how do we make sure that people are still, that people still feel that, that sense of family and still mm-hmm. feel special and that's going to be one of the big things that we have to figure out mm-hmm. um, is as it scales, how do we keep it? How do we keep it with the right feeling? How do we stay true to it? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's number one. If you talk about execution of the event, that's it. But, yes. you know, the overarching ideas are that this is about giving back and making an impact. And mm-hmm. we, we give back all of our profits. Well, I mean, this year... We're probably reaching into our pocket to do the grants. You know, there's a you know we'll see, you know we'll know more by the end of the year whether whether the organization made money or lost money, mm-hmm. or maybe even broke even. But no matter what, we've given away that two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars, two hundred sixty last night after. Oh, after, after yeah. After 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 Gary Solomon Sr. Uh, mm-hmm. was sitting next to me in the crowd, and he uh, we were sitting at, at, at our table, and uh, he had met. Josh Wagner in the in the hall, uh-huh. and they were talking about uh, John Lemaire's son. And Gary's like, "We have got to give that boy some money." Oh wow! And so he he's got just like, it. Here. Yeah, and he said, "We." He said, "Stop the show!" And it was so he stopped the show and went up and said, "Hey, we're gonna give, we're gonna give some money." Wow. Yeah, that's was, very nice. Of yeah, him. it was amazing. It was. I mean, it was like yeah, no one knew what to do because <laughs> like, you know, this you know, those is sh- not on the show. Yeah, I mean, the shows are very scripted, right? <laughs> yeah, and, but. But when someone decides to, to, to do something really special like mm-hmm. 
you have to, you know, you, you do what you do to make it happen. And it was, it was amazing. Tell me about the, the Spirit Awards. How did that go last night? I know you guys are super tired about it. And this time you were coordinating it, you know, like, yeah, you know, I said you were at the helm and it's just like, whoa, it's, it's a lot. Um, I've been on the other side of it, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch. Uh, we've been finalists at Cure and Canaan Table for multiple years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've officially, I, I felt bad for my for my business partner because I said, so now you know that we'll never win a Spirited Award, right? Now <laughs> I cannot win. <laughs> you know that, we'll, that we can never win a Spirited Award now. You have and, a James Beer. Come on. That is awesome. It's pretty cool. So, so, so I mean, it, I'm not but, making but one that's, better than the other. But but that, but. <laughs> no, but that, but that made it, you know, I mean, you know, awards are about your team. Right. And, 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 and about pride. And so we knew that our teams were satisfied mm-hmm. with that and that they had been, that they've been recognized on a, on a really high level. And, and it's, you know, I think the spirit awards are, are amazing. And I'm, I'm sad that my teams will never be able to, to experience right. that. But at the same time, there are things that are more important than awards. Right. And this event in this city, in this time of year, it means a hell of a lot more than an award. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> this time of year, oh my God, it's so hot. It is. It's but incredibly hot. I mean, that, that's that. the thing. I mean, that, you, you know, people always ask, you know, well, God, why is Tails in July? Yeah. You know, why is it, God, well, you know, why is it at this time? Yeah. Well, it's because our primary mission is to be a place where bartenders gather mm-hmm. and spirits professional gather, you know, mm-hmm. spirits professionals gather. So, it has to be affordable, right. and that and and that's one of the things that makes New Orleans at this time of year amazing. I mean, if you've ever come in the off season, New Orleans is not a cheap place. No, it's not. You know, what I mean, it's not. There. It's not New York. It's not. Yeah. You know, it's not Los Angeles. It's not but Chicago. Still. <laughs> but still, it's. I mean, it is. It is. The the pricing goes to mm-hmm. it goes near that. Yeah. So, the the third week in July is a time where we can where everybody can afford to come here, and we're going to work harder with local partners and local hotels to make sure that it gets mm-hmm. even more affordable for people to come here. Yeah, that'll be because great. Because that's yeah. something that, that we that we feel really strongly about is that we need to support bartenders. We need to get them education. We need to make sure they're here meeting people face-to-face and networking. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, uh, I'm glad you guys are turning it towards the bartenders, towards the industry and supporting. I know that you have the support of the brands and everybody's contributing, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to see them doing that. But I think it's very important that you support, especially the local, the small businesses. This one mm-hmm. thing that I really got excited about, that me being a small business owner in a mm-hmm. tiny place, well, it's not tiny, but it's a no, small, it's unknown, tiny. more unknown place like El Paso mm-hmm. that we're trying so hard, knowing that I can come in and be like, well, I have a little business. What can I do and get the help from you guys? That's really cool because I yeah. didn't think I would I would be able to see that in mm-hmm. at Tales. <laughs> Well, that's um, you know we have we have lofty goals. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to hit all of them. And look, we don't have a magic wand. We're not going right. to wave it and, and fix all the no. All, and it's all not going to happen right yeah. away. Yeah, so but, we're not going to fix yeah. our problems immediately. But we're committed to uh, to making the world a better place, and and that's uh, and that's why we're here. We're good. Briefly, tell me about Cure Cane and Table. <laughs> so Cure. Um, Cool. I loved it, by the way. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. So, so Cure is my baby. Um, it uh, I, we I opened it almost uh, 
almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It'll be 10 years in February. Oh, I want to get there. Yeah. And soon. it's, um, we, we opened up on a street that had nothing on it that had been, you know, really, yeah. really, really horrible neighborhood. Yeah. Um, from, from a crime standpoint and, and from a commercial standpoint. It was right after Katrina then. It was right after Katrina. Okay. So I, so I, I was living in New York, but I'm, so I'm from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if you were from here, you, um, you know, after Katrina, you felt like, you know, n- you know, no one else was going to rebuild the city for us. And you've just felt calling to come home. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's what I did. And I, uh, and started working Started working on Cure and we, you know, with my business partner, Matt, and we, we found, we identified a building and we bought it and Matt's a designer and contractor and he did an amazing oh, the renovation. Place is very beautiful. I love the whole open of it. You know, like I mentioned in my, <laughs> my post on Instagram, that cockroach thing is just like, <laughs> oh, fun. And, well, and, we, and we talked about the story <laughs> about the cockroach. About yes. I know so, people are going to be like, what do you mean cockroach? So, so we have a, so, so we have a, uh, an old German uh, dissection. It's a it's a, um, a graphic of a dis- of a dissection. It's actually beautiful, mm-hmm. um, and of of a cockroach. And my business partner Matt, who does all the design for <laughs> us, on the first night of service secure when we were doing friends and family, he yeah. said, "I want you to put this up over here." And I said, "Matt, there is no way we can put this up." <laughs> It's like health department is going to shut us down just because we have a picture of a cockroach on the inside. So Ugh. we. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we end up putting it up. He said, "Just put it up for tonight." And look, if it's like, if it's a if it's a problem, take it down. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, ten years ago we were a bar without TVs, mm-hmm. uh, which didn't really happen a lot in New Orleans. Yeah. And we noticed that it was a conversation piece, and people were talking about it, and some people loved it, and some people hated it, but no one was neutral. Nobody <laughs> just like me. And I realized in that moment that we had to keep it up, and it was a really, really, really smart piece. Um, and so we've embraced it. You know, our, our saying is it's the only cockroach you'll ever see a cure. Okay, good. Well, and the one on the postcards too. Yeah. Okay. Better, <laughs> that, that's better, what I noticed. better a graphic cockroach than a real cockroach. Okay. So what do you like to drink? A couple more questions and we're done. What do you like to drink? Well, if you can tell from the back bar, and, and you know, and, and we didn't even get to talk about Canaan Table. I but, know, we didn't. But, uh, but, but Canaan Table is our restaurant. And the, in, in the French Quarter that that focuses on on rum and the rum trade, we you know tropical drinks, tropical okay. fruit, you know tropical mm-hmm. food, but run through a New Orleans lens. Is it open today? Yeah. Okay, then I'm gonna go yeah. have lunch. So for brunch <laughs> right now. Awesome. So, um, and it's a beautiful space. It's one of the oldest buildings in the French Quarter, nice. and it's uh, it's like running a movie set. You know. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when the in go. in the good ways and in the bad ways, yeah. um, <laughs> and. Uh, and so, you know, to get to get back to your question about about drinks, I uh, you can tell by the back bar at Cure, I have a hard time making my making out my mind when it comes to, to booze and cocktails. Oh yeah, there's so, so many good things out there. That it's hard to pick, right? But because... but but I do default to two to two drinks pretty consistently right now, um, depending. Well, three drinks pretty consistently, okay. depending on depending on my mood and 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 how and how inebriated I want to get, or you know how quickly I want to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, right now during the summer, I drink a lot of Venetian spritzes. Okay. Um, and yeah, yeah, they're, they're great. And Mm -hmm. I, and I love that. I love the, you know, I love the, the general category of spritz because there's so many amazing red, you know, red bitters available now. Mm 
you know and so it's uh it's a it's a fun format for that and then i really like um I love I love Negronis if I want to if I want something a little stiffer. Of course. And then and then I love martinis and I love I love really wet martinis. And okay. I, I mean generally I drink my martinis inverted, um, you know, heavily inverted with a little bit of strong strong okay. gin. You know, okay. With a little bit of navy strength gin. Wow, that's a first. Actually, really? I've never. Yeah, not I know a lot of people in El Paso um, drink the martinis that way. Yeah, I mean, like I mean, dry. I mean, we live in an amazing time. For yeah. that, I mean, we there's so many amazing wine wine based aperitifs and yeah. vermouths and 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 so and they're more and more coming to market and and you know I I, I like lower proof drinking mm-hmm. so it's uh, it makes a lot of sense for me mm-hmm. and interesting it's about enjoying the spirit when you drink not yeah getting it, exactly exactly so that's um so that's what I like and and so I'm. Uh, yeah. And then, and then now, I'm sorry. Like the question comes, with what historical figure you would like to have one of those drinks with? Oh boy! <laughs> I love the reaction. I studied, Everybody has I that studied, reaction. I, I studied history in uh, uh, in college, and and I. Uh, it's a very very hard question. Um, Dead or alive? Close to you? Maybe related? Not related? There, yeah, there are a lot of. I mean, there, I, I can. I don't know how to narrow the standard to to just one, but I think you know. I, I keep on, I keep on coming back to um, to to my grandfather. He was uh, he was my uh, uh, he was he was my dad's stepfather, mm-hmm. and he owned a um, he owned a hotel in Miami Beach, and he was like the coolest dude ever. And you know, I knew him as a kid, mm-hmm. but not a, but not as an adult. And you know, you'd like to know, you'd like to have these like adult to adult conversations. Right. Yeah. And he was just he was a really chill guy, and he was, you know, worked in this and worked in this industry um, mm-hmm. at a really interesting time. And I just would love to have heard his perspective on it, um, and as as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, where you can get that historical perspective of Miami <laughs> Beach. Kind of in its uh, in its first heyday. That must be cool. Yeah. I hope someday we can get time machines and do it. So. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for interviewing with us, Neil. I know you've been a very busy person, and we all want to go home after tonight. I know I do. Thanks for asking questions. I want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So that's it, everybody. We're gonna have one more interview, and back in the so Welcome to One More Take on Inside the Thinker Studio. Uh, we're here with Caroline. After Caroline yes. Rosen, yeah. It's Caroline. After <laughs> finishing with Tales of the Cocktails, you guys had a really busy week, I'm sure. Uh, how, how was it? How do you, how, like, after working, seeing all these people walking around the hotel, uh, you know, all the seminars and all the tasting rooms, how do you feel? Woo! <laughs> 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 
yeah. you know, it was the energy this year has been contagious, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm still on an adrenaline rush. I mean, <laughs> honestly, just to. You know, by the end of the week, I'm hugging people in the hallways, and we're giving each other high fives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that we still have a very long road ahead of us, but I think that we've come out of the gate um, showing how much we care about this community and about this event and this foundation. And um, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. (laughs) That's that's pretty fantastic, because I think that you all did a really good job, and uh, everybody that I talked to is very happy with what they experienced this year. Um, so how did you get involved into helping organizing TELS? Yeah, absolutely. So back in February, mm-hmm. I have a, a nonprofit background. Okay. So I have a hospitality nonprofit background. Oh, and so that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's perfect. And so, um, you know, hos- the hospitality community in particular is the one I've been passionate about. Um, I think we have the most passionate, caring people of any industry. And so I'm, I was lucky enough to know the Solomon family through philanthropic givings mm-hmm. that they had done in the past and had known Neil through the Food and Bev world and um, was just really honored when I had a chance to join the team and help them grow um, this amazing foundation. I mean, there's infinite possibilities and it's exciting to start. Yeah, I, I mean, the foundation is a really big thing. I feel that there is opportunity for through the foundation through because we are on small a smaller town in texas or it's not small but you know um it, in the industry yeah. world it's a little bit behind everybody else and i think there is opportunities and if you guys have this foundation helping people in the industry that we are at we can definitely try to do something with it and yeah. like apply for different things. And yeah. I mean, this is just the starting of that conversation. I mean, we kicked off, to kick off the week with um, support from the Edrington Foundation and the mm-hmm. Goldring Foundation, to have Jeffrey Goldring speak in front of everyone and talk about mm-hmm. um, his recovery for the last 17 years mm-hmm. and being excited about having a space for everyone to be involved in the spirits community, the hospitality community, to giving out the $250,000 in grants. I mean, it's exciting, and I think it's just a beginning, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's where, you know, the conversation doesn't end today. Mm -hmm. It's it's gonna continue on, you know? This is, I think that's the other great thing that we've learned throughout this weekend is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are just seminars here, but they're things that you can take back to your market and grow on and we can continue to have those conversations. Wow, uh, tell me where do you want TELS to move to? What, what do you see in the future? I mean, our, our goal is to make sure that we're giving back as much as we can. You know, I'm sure that you've heard from Neil and Gary and it's all about the more money we raise, the more people that we can help, the more resources that we can support people with. So mm-hmm. that's the growth of it for me is making sure that we're all able to still gather together in these unique experiences, whether it's Tales on Tour or Tales New Orleans or Tales of the Toddy. Like, <laughs> I think having that interaction with people. But, you know, having our first grants cohort, mm-hmm. what's, gonna, what's it going to look like in five years? I mean, that's going to be a whole network of people that can help each other. So I think there are infinite possibilities. Yeah, that was very interesting when I saw how you guys decided on the grants and everything. I thought that was a very neat and really good way to be unbiased and like to choose the right 
people to receive those grants. So yeah, good job. <laughs> well, we it's it's definitely not just us. We have twelve of the most talented minds from mm-hmm. all over the world that are able to help with that. And again, it's a learning process. You mm-hmm. know, we're never going to be perfect. We're never always going to get it exactly right. But um, I'm really lucky to work with some really amazing people whose hearts and heads are in the right places. Mm-hmm. That's that's really cool. And we also did have. A fun bunch of fantastic seminars how, how many of them they were like it was like 70 or i think that there were <laughs> oh my gosh this is the last day don't quote me on this <laughs> there were 78 plus 68 to 80 and you know philip duff does such an amazing job as yeah. our director of education um the seminars this year were packed the education yeah, was really good. top of mind and then i think having that beyond the bar component. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all had a chance to make it over there, but also having free and open to the public right. access, you know. We'll try making it. <laughs> it's okay, next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's what I tell them, like, that's just RSVP, and if we can make it great, that's right. if not, then we'll it's just okay. around. And, Absolutely. We yeah. have to take breaks in between. Some Sometimes we're like, okay. Let's, <laughs> where do they have the little let's, sandwiches? Let's just keep <laughs> this seminar, and we're going to go for a sandwich. But, yeah. uh, it, was, it was really, really good. Well, we're getting closer to the end over here. And um, I, do you drink? Do you like drinking? I've been known to have a cocktail, too. <laughs> 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 yeah. As our lovely publicist Gia is yeah. laughing hysterically in the corner. <laughs> so what do you usually like to drink? You know, I am on a really big Aperol Spritz kick right now. It is hotter than hell in New Orleans. Y'all have experienced it. I just need something that's a little low ABV, that's a little bubbly and bright. Yeah, that that sounds delicious. Are you from New Orleans? I'm originally from Alabama, but I've had some family ties here, and I uh, attended college here pre-Katrina, looks through Katrina. Um, So I started calling New Orleans home back in 2003. So it's home. We bought a little cottage outside the French Quarter oh, in nice. his home. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, that's well, you're not that far. You're close. Good. Yeah. Close. I walked over yeah. here this morning. <laughs> so if we were to give you a plane ticket right now mm-hmm. to go anywhere in the world to have a drink, where would it be? I want to go to Cape Town. Wow, um, she knows the answer right away. <laughs> the other ones no. are just thinking about it. Oh, no, I'm, it was so funny because everyone's been like, what are you doing after Tales? you going on a vacation? I'm like, y'all, I haven't had time to plan a damn vacation. I've been planning this. But yeah. starting last night, I was like, I do need a vacation. <laughs> I think we all do. No, I think the cocktail scene, everything I've been hearing, uh, Cape Town is beautiful. I've I've been there once before, but I'd love to go back with fresh eyes. And I think Mm -hmm. they're doing some really wonderful philanthropic things there as well, specifically in the bar community. Um, So that's where I want to go next. Can we go? Don't want to join? (laughs) Can we we just go now? now? Yeah, let's just go. Let's have breakfast. (laughs) Well, I think this is it. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 We we hope that you guys keep it up because we are very, very, like I said, humbled and then we enjoy so much and grateful and honored to be part of it, especially like selling Neil, like we have a tiny little place and we're finally getting attention from you guys. You're helping us be on the map 
yeah, and represent our little It is fantastic city. to be able to come yeah. to tales and meet a lot of people face to face and shake yeah. their hands and, you know, remind them that small cities count too. So. Absolutely. Well, thank y'all for being here because yeah. it's important. You know, like we, y'all bring a whole unique side to this uh, event and we couldn't do it without y'all because it's important. And I think that as you see us grow, um, we can all grow together and help each other. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Woo! All right. Thank you everybody for listening. This has been Tales of the Cocktail Inside River Studio. We're going back Thank you.